0: This is Coffee and Camino and I'm Luke Mills. Coffee and Camino, my name is Luke Mills and I am the host for this podcast to help you find out all about more about all things Camino. It may be a well-known Camino such as the Camino in France or it may be one of the other lesser-known Caminos around the world. So, why are you listening? Well, you may have already, uh, already have been on a Camino somewhere, um, and or maybe you just like to go somewhere, or you may have even been out and are looking forward to going back to Europe to do another Camino. So today I am with Mark Walsh, uh, the education officer at the Edmund Rice Education Australia here in Northern the. Uh, Headquarters is in Richmond, and we are at the Arthur Street Deli in Fairfield. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Luke. How are you? Good, so good to meet you here this morning. Um, yes, so we are in the uh, in Heidelberg in Fairfield. And first of all, the very first question I like to ask Mark is: Why are we here in the Arthur Street uh, Deli in Fairfield? Well, we're here because this is my local deli.
1: Um, I live approximately 150 steps away, so it's probably the shortest walk I do each day. um, And uh, I have a little bit of a ritual on a Friday night where I um, like to relive the Camino a little bit with a bit of cheese and chorizo and
0: wine and uh, this place sort of uh, helps me out with a few of those things. Right, well at 150 steps from home, it sounds like if you want to live Relive parts of the Camino. It sounds like you—you um, you must have taken your time on the Camino there, because uh thats uh, hopefully you would have walked more than that in one day.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I, when I did the Camino Frances, I wasn't counting steps. No, but um, I, the last one I just did the Camino Portuguese. I think we were averaging about forty thousand steps a day. So wow. Did you have a little pedometer? On yeah, 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 yeah. So, we sort of all compare those at the end of the day and work out something in between.
0: Uh, okay. Well, it's a lovely place here, in the Arthur Street, um, uh, the Arthur Street Deli here in Perth. It's a very local feel, and uh, the locals have been pouring in. And we're just sitting in the glass window, uh, having a look over the um, Heidelberg Road, which is a rather a busy, busy road here, taking us in and out of town. So, anyway, Mark, maybe tell us um, a little bit about the very first. First Camino that you went on. When was that, and from where did you go? Yeah.
1: From I, I, I count my first Camino as the, um, the first three hundred, uh, sorry, five hundred kilometres of the Camino Frances. Yes, so I walked from Saint Jean Pied in France to uh, Lyon in, uh, in uh, Spain and then had to go because yeah. uh, that's all I could fit in at that point. Oh, what a shame. Well, well it wasn't a shame because I got to finish mm, that Camino a couple of months later. Okay,
0: so we're, what year are we talking about? 2016? 2016. Okay. And, in, and that was the first time. Now, did you go alone on that particular trip? I went alone for the first 500 kilometers mm.
1: and then I was joined by my cousin
0: and a friend of his for the uh, last 300. Oh, okay right yeah. when you went back year, yeah. And what time of the year did you go? Started in summer, so I started in
1: August wow. and um, walked quite a number of days, uh, double 30s, like 30 kilometres yeah. and um, 30 degrees plus. Ah, double 30s? And that, yeah. and that was really, really hard work. Yes. And then when I came back, it was actually November, so we started uh, ah. at the beginning of November and we. We uh, yeah, finished on my 50th birthday uh, Yeah, when we way. reached Santiago. What a way to celebrate. It was a, probably the most amazing birthday I've ever
0: had. So how much of a gap was there between those two? Those two uh, a couple com- of months. Just a couple of months? Yeah. So if you s- okay, right. So you, well, you really did have... Um, all sorts of weather types, because if you were starting in St John in August, yeah, that would have been quite warm. Yep. Um, but you know, very pleasant. Certainly coming yeah. over there, over there, um, the Pyrenees would have been coolish, I suppose. It was a little
1: cool, and um, but then as we sort of got onto the Massetta, and actually even before the Massetta, yep. we had some really really warm days. Uh, um, and then when I came back. Um, Actually started. I walked another probably 30k from Leon um, to uh, Hospital de yeah. yeah. and because um, that's where I was going to start with my cousin. Yes. And those couple of days, in the last days of October, were quite warm. And then all of a sudden November started,
0: and everything changed. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. Because when we were there, oh, look, it must have been at the same time. We uh, we got there at the end of october and i remember this distinctly because it was the uh, festa todos los santos which is on the Mm -hmm. first of november November. that's right and we were a little bit behind you because we were coming into burgos that day and um the weather changed like instantly overnight it went from 23 degrees one day quite warmish and quite pleasant, to three. And that was the day that, um, it was actually two days before Burgos, and it was, we got uh, snow we got snow in, coming in from yeah. there. And it was, uh, it was for me, it was quite a revelation. They said, I don't remember speaking to them at the time, they said, oh yeah, it's pretty sudden, but we do actually expect it to get cold now. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: I remember, because we were back last year, about the same time you were there, but a little bit earlier and we were on the Portuguese at that point yeah. and we were reading about the snow yeah. um, and thinking we're really
0: glad we weren't yeah. uh,
1: we weren't up there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because once you get stuck in those higher altitudes and it's wet or cold, it, you know, it's it's pretty miserable when we were in Osobrero that we were basically, we woke up and the cloud was there and it just sat on the mountain yeah. and didn't shift. So it was, yeah, it gets very cold towards the end. So you really went through um, a lot of different types of uh, uh, weather patterns, but that's sort of very pleasant as
2: well, isn't it? I, I you think it's like great.
1: Experience. Yeah, so I mean, as much as I enjoyed the the Camino in summer, I don't know if I'd ever do that again. Unfortunately, it was the only time I had mm-hmm. that I could do that section of it. Yeah, I really, I've really enjoyed the Camino in autumn. Yes. Um, especially when I was doing the Frances and walking past Leon through the vineyards as you go back into there again, yep. and the uh, the leaves are yep. changing colour and yeah. there's some really nice. Photos that I remember taking yeah. and some awesome colour.
0: That's the Rioja street yeah, you're talking
1: about. I know, about. this is actually the as you're enter, entering into Galicia. Ah,
0: yeah. Okay. Oh, yes, I, I, I can't remember the orchards uh, or the vineyards quite mm. as well as I. I do remember going through the Rioja um, area. Mm. But um, yes, there's certainly the change in colour was, tr- was quite good, and I suppose. Well, for us, going to, at that time of the year was. Was pleasant in the sense that um, we were really the only pilgrims out there. There wasn't many yeah. at all, um, and that's nice. We, I mean, everywhere we went, we really met the local people, and um, and I really, I really enjoyed that. Uh, the bars weren't full, the, mm. uh, the, the hostels weren't full, and yep. you know we were always able to find a place. And yeah, yeah. The, I, don't, I
1: think but, for me, one of the, the great things on the Camino is we are the local world and the um, the world of the Camino pilgrim intersect yeah now a lot of the time we're all going to bed when the Spanish are going out <laughs> yeah. so really happen in the evening yeah but it might happen around lunchtime in a small yeah. bar on the way yeah. the locals are in there having their um, lunchtime bowl of uh, wine <laughs> and their their and we're Having a little bit of a cold beer and a bocadillo yeah. and sort of a bit of banter along, and that sort of thing, yes, um, yes. even a bit of shouting of drinks uh, across oh, oh, the yeah. tables. Yeah. And then the other time I reckon yeah. where life intersected was sometimes very early in the morning, yes, particularly yeah. on a yep. Sunday morning yep. when you're encountering all the Spaniards have been out all night. <laughs>
0: yes. yes, they do. That that's, uh, is certainly the case. Yeah, and they they certainly do go out late at night. I never got to a restaurant. Uh, more than about an hour earlier than I should have ever um, couldn't quite ever understand that um, it was uh, they, they used to come very very late in the evening one of the things that I remember uh, when I was reading in the guidebooks was that uh, or on the some of the reviews if we wanted to stay somewhere they would, they would say that oh, we were over a over a street or a plaza Mm. and the noise coming off the street was made it very difficult to, to, uh, you know, to sleep. But we never, of course, had any of that problem (laughs) like that. So that was, they do go out very late and uh, that's uh, that's certainly something that occurs there. So you went um, on your, so that was the first time that you went on the Camino and what, look, if I was going to boil it down to say you know, if you're going to boil it down to a, a, a sort of a, a cohesive reason, what what really made you want to go at that time to certainly start back in 2016?
1: Mm. It's a really, it's an interesting question because I've been trying to work out the year when the seed was first planted in my head. Yeah. And I think the first time I heard about a Camino was probably maybe 10 years before that. Yeah one of the principals of one of the schools that I was associated with was doing the Camino yeah. and I heard Camino, Spain, listers and really didn't think much about it again, I thought I'm not sure I want to do that mm-hmm. but then I was, it would have been maybe 2000, somewhere between 2008 or 9, I, on Foxtel, I caught a documentary by a Galician rock star about the Camino okay. and so he started in um, the Netherlands and did bits of it by train and bus and all of that but then once he got into Galicia he walked it and I was just in awe of this idea of journey this idea of pilgrimage at that point I mean I'd been on pilgrimages to Jerusalem um, and and that sort of thing which is more the destination is more the uh, the yeah. Attraction, but yeah. for me, the, the thing that opened up about the Camino was the, the journey itself. Yeah, and then as everyone else says, um, I saw the
0: way, um, <laughs> yeah, well, that seems to be a given, you know. know.
1: And, and then the other one, though, that I think had a bigger impact is um, a documentary, the Camino documentary, Six Ways to Santiago, because yes, yes. it was real. Yeah, the way is a wonderful movie, yeah. but it's a fantasy in some ways when it comes to depicting oh, yeah. life on the Pretty Camino, sure. yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So did you classify yourself as a walker prior to that? Did you say, oh, I'm a guy that likes to go out on the weekends or on my holidays and walk? Was that the sort of person
1: you were? No. I mean, I'd walked before and I I enjoyed walking. And somewhere between making the decision to do that... um, the Camino Frances with my cousin in 2013 was when we committed yeah. to going in 2016 and um, I actually learnt to walk more from that time yeah. so I was probably grew into walking over yeah. over the three years leading up to that and now I was riding my push bike the other week and it just felt too fast Right. <laughs> Yeah.
0: And I'd have to say, all of this at 40-plus uh, years as well, yes. is when you had these realisations. Yes. Obviously, you said you came in on your 50th birthday. But I would have to say, um, very much the same for me. I had no real desire to want to walk much at all. Um, for those people who may have... Um, Known what I've done, I, I, I have done this Camino in Australia, the uh, the Aussie Camino. But that was really the first time that I even thought that I would walk a long distance. Mm. That was back in two thousand and thirteen. So no, I, I I I'm the same as you. I, I do Caminos, but I don't call call myself a walker at all because I don't do it much else, Um, except for when I uh, go away on the Camino. That's the thing Mm.
1: that I
2: enjoy doing.
1: I think the Camino turned me into a walker Mm -hmm. um, to the point now where I walk as often as I can. Oh, yes. And that's my preferred mode of transport. And, and, you know, after I came back from doing the Camino Frances, I was lucky enough to walk from... uh, Nazareth to Capernaum, which is only a short pilgrimage of about 75 kilometers over four days. And then later in that year, looking for something more, I did the Aussie Camino. Yes. Um, And again, that November Mm -hmm. period, which seems to be a good time for me to walk. And then, yeah, so after that, the following year, the Portuguese. And now we're just trying to make the stars align so I can walk with my one of my a couple of my brothers oh, and my nephews yes um, and that's maybe going to be the coastal section of the Portuguese okay. that we didn't walk last time okay
0: right yeah, yeah. well you've just mentioned your um, a sh- the short walk from Nazareth to Capernaum now so I do want to ask you a little bit about your um, experience in the Holy Land. that's one of the things that you have done over the last five years of your life. Tell us a little bit about what took you to Jerusalem um, and, um, and what you were doing whilst you were there.
1: Yeah, um, I guess the thing that took me to Jerusalem was an opportunity to work with the Sisters of Our Lady of Sion. Yes. Um, I've been associated with them for about 30 years now, um, for most of my teaching career. And they have a biblical program that they run in Jerusalem. Um, at a place called Echehomo in um, Eche Homo, east, yes, east Jerusalem um, and there was an opportunity to come over to be involved in that and um, as well as that in order to find a place to live I lived in their um, guest house in On which is about a short tram ride from Jerusalem there's uh-huh. one tram in in Jerusalem uh, yes. and, oh okay yeah right so you can go from one place to the other there and uh, so I worked in the guest house, I worked in the garden, I worked in reservations um, and I also studied. So I was officially there as a student, um, on a student visa, okay. doing some post-grad studies and biblical studies and uh, helping to facilitate month-long study
0: of the, the Gospels in
1: the land where the stories uh, originated. Yes,
0: well, I have heard of the ECHO HOMO program because a number of staff members in my previous schools have been there for that. Yep. I did notice it's a month-long, yes. in reasonably intensive type of course. They they go to Nazareth, of course, to Jerusalem. They make the trip back down to Bethlehem at one point. Yes, all so, the big, yeah. notable
1: places. All the big, notable places. But we spend a lot of time in a classroom in the Old City on the Via Dolorosa which is the way of sorrow yes. which in itself is a mini pilgrimage wow. commemorating that last journey of Jesus from yep. his yep. Um, condemnation by Pilate to his crucifixion and resurrection yep.
2: Yeah. Yep.
0: well it would be um, in fact the first place of Christian pilgrimage in the world um, Jerusalem would be uh, they, there are recordings that within the first 50 to 100 years of the death of Jesus, that people were already trying to, um, making their way down, just from probably the surrounding areas, um, um, the Asia Minor region and and the, um, what we now know as the the Palestine region, on that uh, Eastern Mediterranean area. Um, Young Christians or Jesus people, as they might have been known in uh, in those days, were already making their way to Jerusalem. Probably up until the fall of Jerusalem and then beyond, just to try and, well, I suppose seek verification of that oh, no. that the story was real and to plot some of those points. Um, and then we, we know uh, that it sort of Jerusalem really stayed very popular as a, as a pilgrimage destination. Um, Really, right up until the Middle Ages, until it became a little bit too dangerous to go there, it became, um, and then of course Rome became a much, much more popular destination because of the foundings of the the Western Church there. Oh, well, that's um. Also, what I suppose you have to ask: Well, what? um, Why did you have to come home after all of that? (laughs) Enter the real world again. My retirement. Ah, uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know,
1: it was it was a wonderful experience and, um, but it was basically, uh, you know, the work I did gave me a roof over my head and yeah. um, just a, an incredible opportunity to sort of be there. And as you're, you're going through that, that potted history of uh, pilgrimage to Jerusalem, one of the most amazing things in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, or as the Greeks call it, the Church of the Resurrection. Yes. There's graffiti. Oh, wow. Going back to the first century. Yeah. From these um, followers of the Jesus movement, yes. who had gone to visit that place, and even the the fact that there's a church in Bethlehem and Jerusalem and some of these places is down to a pilgrimage by Constantine's um, mother-in-law yeah. Helena. Yes. Of um, so even that, that that sense of pilgrimage there yeah. is, yeah. Um, yeah, ancient. Yeah. And the Jews and Jesus went on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Ah, oh, yeah. Um, you know, right there in the in Luke, that lovely story of him getting lost in the temple. Yes. Um, yes. He was on pilgrimage from Nazareth to Jerusalem, Jerusalem yeah. and hang, stayed there. Yes. Yeah. Overnight.
0: Yeah. How far is that? Because how far is Nazareth to um, Jerusalem? Is how, how many days would it take to walk there? That's that? a
1: really good question. Um, yeah. It's about a two and a half, three hour bus ride. Okay. So it's not a huge distance. So, you know, you might walk it over three. Four days. Yeah. Okay.
0: It really depends. Right. On a donkey, perhaps being pregnant might um, stretch things out a little bit. Uh, including the imagination. Including on that one, Im- probably. <laughs> yes. um, well, there's no mention of a donkey. I know that. No. So, so, <laughs> so but yeah, I, I sort of get. So you're in that sort of uh, 100 kilometre type yeah, region, yeah, okay? Plus, yeah. Pretty, pretty. Um, Harsh terrain, to imagine.
1: Yeah, you're moving from Jerusalem's nine hundred metres above sea level, and um, Nazareth is in the Galilee region, and you're moving down to sea level there, and to Capernaum, you're moving right down. Another 200 meters below sea level,
0: yeah, into yeah. the Sea of Galilee. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Okay, so now just going, getting back to the Camino um, a little bit. So mm. you're up, you've done those two sections. Really, now you can honestly say you've done the entire. You have done the entire stretch of the of the um, Camino Frances. Yeah. And and so your next one, sorry, was in Portugal. Yes. And when was that? That was last year,
1: and um, it was a group of. People who really wanted to to do that, and so uh, we decided to go. We were going to go and visit Lisbon and Porto first, so that decided which Camino we ended up walking. Uh, Okay. And because of time and um, people wanting, just some people just wanting to do the the minimum. Yes. Um, to do enough, we decided we'd start from Tui. Okay. So so where's that? Tui is on the border of um, yes Portugal and Spain, and it's about a hundred and. 10 120 kilometers from Santiago to Compostela, so it's about a
0: five to six day walk. Okay, yeah. still to get your Compostela there. You can, yes, you can if you want one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, oh, that and it, that is the, the final uh, path um, of the Camino Portugues, yeah, to, to coming in. So, yeah. okay, and that's the
1: central route. Uh, so, the, there's a coastal route that. that is about another hundred kilometres over mm-hmm. that crosses uh, into Spain on a boat, um, ah, ah, which is a little okay. more romantic than going over a bridge, right? Um, and then you sort of move along the coast,
0: and they meet—they uh, meet up along the way. Ah, okay. Well, one thing I did uh, discover when when we were there is as soon as we entered Galicia, um, the path became very, very well laid, (laughs) made, and very well uh, waymarked, and it seems as though that in Galifia they really take it seriously, it's their thing, Um, they uh, take a great deal of pride in it, Uh, some of the, um, in other places, it's not so well, uh, even though it might be quite popular, it's not so well worn, it's certainly not as well waymarked and uh, it can be very variable well under, underfoot. But once we got into um, uh, Galicia, it was fantastic. So that last, uh, from Ocebrero, which was the first town that we were mm. in that from there, it was, it was fantastic. We, we picked that up straight away. And you can almost, I, I remember the border when you say you entered Galicia, which is just about two kilometers short of Ocebrero, it changes right there, Yeah. great.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting, because the um, the modern Camino, and I think the Camino, the, that most people do now is a fairly modern invention. Yes. That maybe goes back to the resurgence in the 80s and is very heavily influenced by uh, yeah. Brealey yeah. and um, his books. Yes. Um, a lot of the waymarking,
0: including the yellow arrow- arrows, actually came from the parish priest. Yeah. at Sabero. Oh, Sabero. Yeah. Now I did. He is the the um, was the chaplain there, um, and there is a small bust about um, him and I, I might even keep that for um, our, our siesta mm. and I'll look that up but yes he had a particularly um, important um, role in actually identifying and codifying if you like the the way um, uh, from Galithia um, and certainly mm. into Santiago yeah, yeah. yeah it was very simple it was um, he, he played a very big big role in that mm. and I did notice to and I mean the Galithians are very very proud of the committee and it seems to be their thing when we were in, um, we were actually in Saria and we had dinner there one night. We met a young, we, oh not an elderly chap who was from Henry and he was an um, Englishman who had spent time in Australia but was now living just outside of Pamplona and he'd been there for 20 years teaching English and it was quite interesting for him, for us to speak to him because he was saying things like, oh well... The Caminos falling in and out of it, historically it fell in and out of favor with the Navarans uh, because it was aso- closely associated with the church. Um, it, it was their sort of um, a, a regal thing, because the church was, of course, involved with uh, the with monarchy, and they were very Republican on that side, and so they didn't really like it much at all. However, that times have changed, and they want they, want to, they now embrace it all, and they see it, something as being um, of their region, even though people make their way through there. But it, it wasn't sort of universally, let's say, embraced by that community. Yeah. No,
1: and, and you notice as you walk along the, the Frances and then the Portuguese, the signage changing from region, autonomous region to autonomous region yeah, and uh, yeah. some do it better than others. Yes. Some you can see a real pride in it. Yes. But I guess a lot of those villages along the Camino, nowadays some of them only exist because of the Camino. Yes. And, and yes. that really struck me. There's even um, some that are coming back to life yes.
0: because of that. Yes. Yeah, so there's a lovely place that um, I think we spoke about last time we caught up. There was a place, uh, Hontana. Mm. Uh, and uh, for those people who might have been there it's a tiny little village on the on the masetta. you can you never see it until you stumble upon it because it's down a tiny little ravine mm. so you are walking on the masetta which is dead flat and then all of a sudden you might see the top of a church bell and then it dips down and you come to this lovely little town called ontana and it's uh look, for, It's a very typical town, um, but it's actually uh, very much of that region. And uh, it's had a tremendous life about it. The church there was a lovely place of prayer and meditation. Mm. It had actually. It was sort of multi-denominational, if you like, and they had prayers from all over the world there, and um, it was a place of reflection there. Now, we went into quiet time, but I I think they do something there every night. Um, Lovely places to stay and um, yeah a couple of nice little uh, bars that we went to so yeah it has really revived a lot of those places Mm. Mm. well listen Mark we might just take a break at the uh, at the moment but I just wanted you to um, just tell us a little bit about your playlist before we go on (laughs) Um, because you were talking about your playlist that kept you sane whilst you're out there and you had a number of songs that you played on the commitment uh, and you and your, your friends that were travelling at the time collected some of these and some, some of the, just reel off some of the names <laughs> of the ones there.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a, this was sort of the, the, our little hobby of an evening, was sort of coming up with songs, you know, so the obvious ones Roam by the B-52s and <laughs> We're on the Road to Nowhere by Talking Heads, I'm Gonna Be 500 Miles by The Proclaimers. <laughs> Um, Walking Man by James Taylor. Um, Kate Bush is running up that hill, although oh, I don't yes. think we ever did run up a oh, hill. <laughs> um, you know, the Boulevard of Broken Dreams, I right. think, was uh, one, of the, one for one of those really hard days. And, uh, you know, some Crossroads by Don McLean, Don't Stop by uh, Fleetwood Mac. Yes. Um, Who'll Stop- and then as, as we got closer to Galicia, songs like Who'll Stop the Rain came in. And, um, oh, okay. You know. Oh that's true. Yeah. Well
0: we might take uh, one of those um, I think what's the name of the James Taylor Walking team? Man. Walking Man. Yeah. Well, we might take that one and, <laughs> and play ourselves out for the break. Oh, so damn. thanks very much Mark. And no uh, here's James Taylor Walking Man. Where is he? Okay.
2: Moving in silent desperation. Keeping an eye on the whole Hypothetical destination Say, who is this walking man? Well, the leaves have come to turn in And the goose has gone to fly And bridges are for burning So don't you let that yearning pass you by Walking man, the walking man walks. Well, any other man stops and talks, but the walking man walks. Well, the frost is on the pumpkin and the hay is in the barn, yeah. And happy's come to ramble and all. Stumbling around drunk down on the farm and the walking man walks, he doesn't know nothing at all. Any other man stops and talks, but the walking man walks on by walk on by and most everybody. quite right ah who would want to listen to you kissing his existence good night walking man walk on by my door well, any other man stops and talks but not i
0: day siesta if you have ever been on Camino and drifted off in your own thoughts or perhaps you were caught up in conversation with someone else suddenly realizing we could be off the trail here you look up and then catch the familiar yellow arrow pointing you along the way for this you can thank father Elias Bellini San Pedro He was the chaplain of Osobrero and was one of the most important figures in the revival of the modern pilgrimage to Santiago. Mark and I were discussing this man whose legacy is still enjoyed by pilgrims today. Originally from Saria, he settled in Osobrero as a priest and throughout his life he studied the history of the Camino Santiago. His doctoral thesis was on the Camino when he studied in Salamanca in 1965. When Vilinius started promoting the ancient route, it was in some places impassable. Therefore, he decided to define the original sections of the pilgrimage route with the now familiar yellow arrow. And after convincing mayors and other parishes and attracting different associations of the friends of the way to become involved, the task of marking the original route began. Father Elias died prematurely in 1989 at 60 years of age. His grave can be seen at the Basilica Santa Maria Real in Ocebrero. Outside the church is a small bust that also pays tribute to this man who left his mark on the Camino of Santiago. Elias Berlina, the father of the modern Camino. Over to Shelley for Shell's tips. Take it away.
3: Thanks, Luke. So, today I thought we might talk about poles and packs. Very simple subject that can make or break your Camino. Anyone who's experienced in long-distance multi-day walking will tell you that walking poles and a really well-fitted pack are absolutely essential. Well, they are Right, a little story. The very first time I went on a multi-day walk was the Aussie Camino and I was absolutely convinced that I was not going to be seen with those embarrassing poles and I certainly wasn't going to invest in an expensive backpack. So what I decided to do was not take poles and just use a pack that I had previously used and and never used on a multi-day walk. Well I can tell you that was an absolute mistake. So on the second day of my walking on the Aussie Camino I actually ended up with um, an injury that uh, was agonizing for the next seven days of walking and I probably took six weeks to recover from it and that injury was a strain that was directly related to the fact that i had a very poor ill-fitting old backpack on that wasn't balanced and i was not using walking poles so i learnt my little bit of wisdom early on and thankfully while i was still on the home shores of australia so when i decided that um, I would take Luke's advice when we were going to Spain and uh, take up the right poles and certainly invest in a good pack. So I would have to say I learned the really hard way, they're essential. One of the things to think about with poles is that in Europe absolutely everybody uses walking poles. The youngest, hippiest, grooviest walkers you'll see anywhere and everywhere using their walking poles. So it's certainly not just for old invalid or geriatric walkers. So the reason why they're absolutely essential, there's some really basic things about walking poles. So they're absolutely essential because they reduce the load through your legs and your feet and your knees and your hips by up to 30%. And that sometimes doesn't sound like a lot but when you're walking for many hours 30 percent of the weight out of your legs over a six or an eight hour walk is incredibly significant the other thing that they're really helpful with is that they really steady you so when you're out there walking often up hills and then down hills and sometimes you're on really unstable terrain, hills and rocks and inclines, you actually use your poles very actively to keep you safe and steady and therefore it reduces that not only the strain on your legs again but also it reduces the chance of a nasty injury. One of the things that I found really helpful was that when you had a sore bit, so I had a bit of a troublesome ankle when we were out in Spain, Uh, they were really helpful at taking some of the load off that particular ankle when I was walking. I, I tended to really lean on that side, use that pole a lot. And the other little additional thing is that at the end of your walk, you end up with amazing looking triceps. And for most girls out there, they'd be pretty pleased about that. With your pack, whether you take uh, your full pack to walk on the Camino or you're just going to take a day pack, the rules are still very much the same. It's really worth investing in a good pack. I was hesitant to spend the dollars, but I can honestly say that spending a little bit more on your pack, you know, perhaps spending up to the $400 or even the $500 on a good pack is worth every single penny. One of the things when you get your pack is it's really important to have it professionally fitted. So when you go into a professional outdoor walking store and you're looking at packs, you'll have an expert there. And they design, they fit your pack especially for your size and it's really important that your pack sits really well on your hips because that's where you actually carry the weight of your pack. It has to hug your body really appropriately and the more expensive packs, one of the difference with them is they allow for airflow around your body and around your back and that's really important when you're walking and you get hot. The most important thing of course with the pack is try to keep it to the smaller sides. The tendency is to want to get something that's a little bigger, but the rule of thumb is that you shouldn't carry any more than 10% of your body weight. And I would honestly say as well, my own experience of that is really stick to that. I myself am a relatively small person and I took a 45 litre pack and I would say that I definitely wouldn't want to have taken anything anything bigger or anything heavier. So, they're my simple little tips about poles and packs. Invest in them. Make sure you take them. Get the best ones that you can afford. And they will make a very big difference to your everyday experience out on the Camino. Buen Camino.
0: Okay, we're back now here, welcome back to Coffee and Camino. My name is Luke Mills and today I am talking with Mark Walsh and we are at the Arthur Street Deli in Fairfield. It's a very lively place here. Um, We have the coffee machine and music playing behind us but we hope that all the sound is coming through uh, in a a way that you can um, hear and understand and really enjoy this uh, conversation that we're having today. So, I'm back with Mark now, and I'm going to ask Mark about what he brought in as part of the Coffee and Camino long tradition that we have here. We have, well, a bit of show and tell. So, although um, podcasts are an audio medium, Mark's going to actually tell us and show us something that he brought back in, which is significant from the Camino experience. Yeah, look, I'm... I guess I chose. I'm wearing a pair of flip-flops. I can see that you're wearing a blue blue, pair of a blue pair of
1: flip-flops that are a brand called
0: Crocs. Oh yes, the Crocs. um, Yes.
1: Which a lot of people will wear the the shoe, the Crocs shoe at the end of their walking day. Right. And um, I wasn't quite prepared to do that, Um, so I went the uh, flip-flop option. Yes. And um, these these have actually accompanied me on all of my Caminos. Right. Um, So they've been. you know, from St. Jean to Santiago, they've been on the um, Portuguese and, and on the Aussie Camino. Oh yes. So, uh, and they're just a great thing to have at the end of the day. Often I'll try and take my boots off if I'm walking um, at lunchtime, or uh, if I'm having a, a stop of 30 minutes or so, or more, just yeah. to give myself a little bit of a breather. Yeah, yeah. And the, and i found that really helped with blisters. And I've even walked a couple of kilometres at a time in these. and. Uh, just well, good for switching it up, and they weigh virtually nothing.
0: Yes, I, I think that's a great, um, yeah. a great thing actually to be able to do that to give your, air, uh, your feet that airing at night, and also it changes your gait. And it cha- in fact, I've heard that thongs are quite good, and they are thongs; they're not sandals, um, because as we are walking, our toes actually move a little bit. We're not aware of it, but our toes just do a little bit of um, work. Um, Whilst they're in- gripping onto the thong as we're walking, and it breaks, it breaks up the um, the type of rigidness that oh. sometimes your toes will feel when they've been stuck in shoes for eight hours yeah. walking at a time. Yeah. I'd have to say, Mark, they're not fashion statements. Yeah. No, they. Uh, they've, done, they've done the trick. So with that, now if I was getting into, uh, into tips yes. uh, as well, more specifically, would that be one of your best tips?
1: For they, they would be one of my tips. It's always have something that you can wear on your feet. Let your feet breathe. Um, heat in your shoe yes. or your boot is one of the heat and friction. Yes. Um, that's blisters. Yes. So just being able to air your feet out, dry them off dry your socks off, yes. give your, your boots or your shoes a bit of a break. Um, I wouldn't go anywhere without them. What sort of shoes did you take? I have walked in a couple of a number of different things um, and I don't know what I'd walk in next time. So I've walked in boots um, and I, the reason I took them in November was because they were waterproof. Oh, okay. Now on a day of light rain, they are waterproof. <laughs> but on a day where you're walking in constant rain, yeah. They make no difference at all, and they're actually harder to drive. Yeah. So, I reckon for something like the Camino, which is not demanding in the terrain, that you you, there's no real rock climbing or anything like that, a good comfortable pair of um, walking shoes or even runners with a good solid
0: sole are probably a great bet for the Camino. Yeah, that's what we took um, lightweight hiking shoes that have a. Um, that really do just look like glorified runners. Yep. The, the main difference is um, is that they have a thicker sole. Yeah. I think if you were to wear at just runners, trainers, um, you, which are lightweight and have a foamy sole, um, you would probably find, I, I think, anyway, that your feet might be quite tender yeah. by the end of the day. Yeah. I would suggest that you need a rubber sole, which is thicker, yep. rather than a foamy sole.
1: Yeah, yep. a lot of the cross-training ones, yep. or there's ones, or there's uh, trail runners. Yeah, I, I would, if I were going to buy a new pair of shoes to do another Camino, yep. I think that's where I'd go. Yeah, and that, look, and they probably dry a lot quicker too,
0: uh, which is a, really a major bonus because um, some parts. Of the Camino can get quite wet. And we've talked about mm. Galicia, which is no, notably wet, and although it can rain anywhere, anywhere along the Camino, mm. um, one of the good things, I suppose, about the wetter the place it is, like Galicia, the better they are at drying out your shoes so we came in on a couple nights absolutely soaked to the skin but when we came when we came in at night we found out that our room was really good for drying clothes yeah in in situations that you just not normally think that you couldn't they had racks and rails and blowers and everything everywhere which is fantastic um, because it was about five degrees outside mm-hmm. and nothing was going to dry yeah. so heavy I think also the message is and I, uh, you know, without making rules about things, I'd really say hiking boots are n- absolutely not necessary. Leather over the th- leather um, over the ankle type hiking boots, unless they're your absolute trusty ones um, and you use them all the time and you know that they'll work for you. No, Look, in all honesty, yeah. I just don't think you need them.
1: Yeah, yeah they're don't. not necessary. But if but the other secret, I think, to choosing a good shoe. Is having one that's well worn in.
0: Yes, that's the other thing.
1: Um, so, like, I, I've got a pair of keen things that go up just over my ankles, walked yeah. in them, yeah. and you know, they were well worn in. Never had a blister in them. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, and I think that's really important. Do you suffer like from foot and soreness and blisters, or are you pretty good by now? I, um,
1: I have a persistent spot actually. Yeah. Just on one of my heels that gets a, gets a little bit tender i reckon my feet have toughened up considerably
0: yeah,
1: yeah. I'll, I'll never forget the feeling of going to bed on that first 500k that first camino in that august period and um my feet would be vibrating
0: Yeah. <laughs> slightly tingly yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you know there was
1: a, there was an energy in them Yes. Um, they hadn't stopped from from that day of walking yeah. You'd wake up in the morning and your body would recover. Yes, But I'll never forget that feeling. And it was more that first Camino that I had, where,
0: yeah, just my body was tingling. Yes. Well, that that was probably the Camino angels at work massaging your feet. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I've spoken to a few people about this. They, you, you, you sometimes come in at night thinking, there is no possible way I could walk tomorrow. But once you've had a shower, and you've gone downstairs and you've had two glasses of wine and then you come back up and changed. You're feeling a little bit better, and but you think, oh, I still don't know if I can go tomorrow. But amazingly, I mean, invariably, you can. Yeah, and yeah. It's, that, a good night's sleep will actually work wonders.
1: The body is incredible. Yes. Um, and, and your body does get a pretty decent pounding on the Camino. Like, there's no way you can adequately train for that no. except in walking a Camino. Yes. Um, because that being on your feet for six to eight hours a day, 20 to 30 kilometers a day, day after day, yeah. um, it's just, yeah.
2: Well,
0: you just can't sort of um, fabricate that sort of experience when in, in modern day life, when we're, we've got something that's coming up you everybody's busy getting all the things out of the way clearing the in tray clearing the inbox uh, from your emails i'm got you know preparing that I'm, I'm going to be away from six weeks or eight weeks from work which in, in australia we very invariably do that training aspect is just almost impossible to replicate back here and you're not going to be able to do it so um how do you how do we do it well we try to do what we can and perhaps plan and manage ourselves rather than actually physically training which you can't do it no
1: and I think listening to you saying about taking six to eight weeks I think time is essential yeah and if you can give yourself enough time on the Camino and start slowly yeah and walk shorter distances (laughs) for that first week yes you actually train yourself in
0: by walking the Camino. Yes. Yeah. It's a training in itself. Yep. It's a training exercise in itself. Yeah. And you know, I I, I think I wrote in one of my last letters, uh, um, newsletters. You know Time is the energy. Uh, so time is the enemy. And in the sense, if you if you are under a really tight um, timeline, and that invariably means getting to a certain point uh, at a certain time I've got to be in Leon or I've got to be in Burgos because that's where the train is taking me back to where I'm yeah. flying in or out of. People have these times in, the, and we, uh, in their minds and in their itineraries and we become fixed on those things uh, and that forces us to walk further put our bodies under more pressure yep. and we, it just seems to happen and once that occurs that's in my mind at least that's when the, um, the injury started occurring
1: yeah and, and, and the body lets you know it's the body letting you know that you're out of balance um, you know walking at a relaxed pace walking at a reasonable distance I mean I met people who walked 40 kilometers plus a day yeah and I thought well it would for a start it would take me way too much time to, to cover that amount of distance but Part of the joy of the Camino is a little bit like what we're doing now, Yeah. sitting down, having a yarn, having a coffee,
2: yeah.
1: um, taking a break, experiencing the places you're walking through and um, not being under that pressure,
0: you know, so if you can give yourself time, yeah. that's my other essential tip. Yeah, and leave yourself sort of almost underdone because yeah. that will give you all the um, focus and enthusiasm to want to come back again sometime mm. and either finish off that part that you didn't do or or to come back and do an, a different section in a different time of the year. Uh, if you burn out that's you know you're going to have a very very um, sort of tainted view of what the whole Camino is like and you might regret something. So just I think just give yourself the time and, and give yourself that, that is not only to walk the Camino but to train yourself into the Camino yeah. as well.
1: and like arriving in Santiago is amazing. And the first time I arrived there on my 50th birthday was probably incredible. Yeah. Um, the energy, the, the, the feeling of uh, joy, relief um, was just incredible. And even arriving there a second time. There was an energy about that square at the front of the cathedral, as people are coming in, and their joy doing it the first time. But a Camino doesn't have to end in Santiago. If you've only got two weeks, and you want to do what's now the traditional Francis, just do the first two weeks' worth. Mm. And if you never get to Santiago, you never get to Santiago, but you can have an enjoyable experience. Or do a shorter Camino, get to Santiago, and then just do what you want after that. Yes, yeah, yeah. and spend some
0: time in Santiago. We yeah. were lucky enough to actually to stay there for five days. It's terrific, and go and see the Museum of the Camino, which is right um, outside the back door um, of the Camino um, in the Plaza, the Plaza next door to the Plaza um, Obradario and go and see. It's on. It's a three or four level. Um, museum it was an old bank and it's been given to the church or to the um, the, the, the Camino um, keepers if you like or the, the city of Santiago and it's wonderful and it was free on Sundays when we went there and give yourself like three or four hours and it really does have a, a lot of um, fantastic artifacts and also simulations and interact, uh, interactive type of um, experiences of the Camino, which has got a thousand years of history. Yeah. And it's just fantastic. And w- yeah, when you walk past it, you wouldn't even know it was there. And we, um, we we only had about two hours there and I could have spent another two yeah. at least. So make a point of going to see the um, museum right next door to the cathedral. Yeah. So Mark, I do have to ask you now, what's next? What have you got in the uh, planned for uh, for Mark Walsh on Camino?
1: That's a really good question. Um, There's a Palatine Camino um, sort of in Victoria that goes over three days that I'm looking at in April.
0: It was in my last newsletter and it starts from Sindel, I think in Glen Waverley, and it goes out to the Palatine uh, Missionary Centre, which I think was in... uh, Millgrove.
1: Yes, that's right. Yes,
0: that's right.
1: And that's a great little walk so that's a little bit of a taster this year. I'm trying to get the stars to align to walk a Camino with my nephews and some of my brothers and, and any other family that, that can come along. That's looking like being the coastal route of the Portuguese, yes. um, but it's a matter of trying to find a time. We're thinking maybe February. Um, so I've been checking the temperatures at the moment yeah, yeah. and they're kind of mid-teens. Uh, okay. It's not too bad yes. I guess. But, um, and how
0: far down would you, Porto? Or we, we'd
1: probably it's... start from Porto because um, it's one of those things where time is a problem. Yes, And so we'd be looking at 10 to 12 days of walking okay. and to work it from there.
0: Yeah, yeah, Well, that's that's a good thing. As you know, leave yourself a little bit underdone. Uh, perhaps yeah. and give yourself that that break at the um, at the end of the Camino to have that time. Yeah. And especially, I suppose, for those people that haven't been before, they'll want to. Um, then, you know, they they will uh, really want to spend that time, perhaps you know, in Santiago and along the oh. way. And,
1: and and if you if you're visiting um, wonderful cities like Porto and Lisbon, Santiago. But even to take that time in Spain when yes. you're finished, um, we spent time after the first Camino in Andal- Andalusia yeah. and, you know,
0: terrific. Just Spain is just an incredible country. Yes, alright. Well, we have the coffee grinder <laughs> starting behind us with the Harley Davidson <laughs> out the front starting, so it's probably a good time to finish up there. Thanks for joining me, Mark. Thank you, Luke. Mark Walsh who is the education officer at the Edmund Rice Education Australia uh, in Richmond here. He has uh, joined me here at the Arthur Street Deli in Fairfield. And all there is for me to say is Buen Camino. Buen Camino.